And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. There's been one demand, and that's holding up that Lombardi trophy, period. That's all I care about, is holding that trophy up and holding that trophy up here. The prime thing is you have to win. You have to win. Otherwise... You can't be a success in professional football. You're listening to The State of the Nation with Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Tashawn Reed, and Ted Nguyen on the Athletic Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another post-game edition of State of the Nation here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am Jimmy Durkin, joined by Vic Tafer, Tashawn Reed, Ted Nguyen. Ready to break down the Raiders... 25 to 20 loss to the Indianapolis Colts. Jeff Saturday, former high school coach, former NFL analyst, guy who two weeks ago tweeted that the Raiders look horrible. And the Raiders' response to that on Sunday was to spend 60 minutes telling him he was right. I would say, you know, people didn't see this coming, but I'll just say that you guys didn't see this coming because you guys all predicted a Raiders blowout. So let's hear it, guys. Um, what the hell happened? Yeah, I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. I picked the, the Raiders to shut out the Colts. The first drive of the game, the Raiders go three and out. And I was like, oh, man, I messed up, didn't I? Like, I, could just, I could just feel it. I was like, this is going to go exactly how Jimmy and, and the rest of the Raiders fans mad at me and Vic and Ted for jinxing them. Uh, we're all weak. And this was, this, this was rough. This is like, I mean, stop me if I'm, if I'm overstating it, but this has to be like one of the worst losses like of a Raiders team that was expected to actually do something in a season. This is pretty embarrassing. Like last week was embarrassing, but this is... This is even worse. Like they lost to a coach who had zero professional or college coaching experience, a team that looked like it was actively trying to tank. And even though Matt Ryan started this game instead of Sam Ellinger, like Matt Ryan had looked horrible. Like the entire season, he looked god awful. Uh, he's turning the ball over like like no other. The offensive line couldn't block anybody. And in this game, all of a sudden, Matt Ryan's picking him apart. Like he's running for forty yards. Like the offensive line not letting him get touched. Jonathan Taylor's back. He's going crazy. All the receivers that we said couldn't do anything, like they're all going crazy. Like the the Raiders defense is is terrible. I think we already knew that, but it's just it was just one of those games where it's like you, there's no way they're gonna lose it. Like they have to close this one out. Matt Ryan didn't respect the he didn't respect the Raiders defense so much on his 30 yard run or 40 yard run. He cut back into the field into the defense when he got to the sideline. <laughs> Once I knew Matt Ryan was starting, it, was, it wasn't so surprising that the Raiders defense didn't have a good day. But the offense is just – those are the moments that – like last year, I think we just kind of got accustomed to it. Derek Carr, you give them the ball. They, they need a score to go win the game or tie it up. They're going to get it done. And this year they just failed to do that every t- single time, even when they have multiple chances to do so in the fourth quarter like they did today. It wasn't like they didn't have the ball in the fourth or anything like that. And the coaching staff, I mean, at this point, like until he shows you otherwise, you have to say that Josh McDaniels is a bad head coach. Like that's all he's – ever shown you between the Broncos and the Raiders. 
the GM, Dave Ziegler, I mean, they, they made some some moves, you know, Chandler Jones, et cetera, uh, that haven't panned out. So the, the blame is, is for everybody, players, coaches, front office, owner Mark Davis, uh, you know, for, for green light and all that stuff. And so, you know, this is definitely one of the, the worst performances for, for a Raiders team that's supposed to be good. And this, I mean, the season was already over that we all thought, but this is just, you have to start questioning where they go from here, big picture as a franchise. Nah, the blame is on people who predicted the Raiders to blow out the Colts. That's where the blame's at. Clearly, you guys don't pick up on sarcasm. I mean, I clearly was being sarcastic <laughs> in my comments. Vic is trying. Vic is trying I mean, to walk this back. So I'm not walking it back. I mean, like Deshaun's right. It was an embarrassing effort. And um, I mean, all you guys say is that you know, the quarterback cried after the game. I mean, that just tells you the new low that we've reached here. Like, I mean, the Matt Ryan run. We'll go down and like in the, you know over the years, last decade or more than that, all these you know, classic plays that people remember about the Raiders being terrible, like the you know Ronald McClain covering Calvin Johnson, the Fitz Magic play, Jamal Charles running circles around Miles Burris. I mean, this goes down. That play will go down, you know, as another example of this being a lost franchise. I mean, the guy, 37 years old, his career high run. I looked it up was 20 yards, 12 years ago. That was his career high run. And like um, Ted said, he cut back into the defense. And you watch the replay of that play. And he's the fastest guy in the field. I mean, the Raiders defenders are, are not are not running hard. I don't know what they're doing. And until he got benched, he was the most sacked quarterback in the league, right? Because he could not. Yeah, and the O-line's been terrible all season until today. Today they were good. I just think um, it shows you there's the problems with the scheme, with the talent, the players. And I think the comments afterwards by Derek Carr and Devontae Adams kind of points to, yeah, they're questioning effort of some of these teammates they have. But to me, that's also, you know, that's a, he points the finger at the coaching staff. I mean, they can't get the effort out of these guys. I mean, Josh McDaniels all week said it was a special week of practice. They were going to bounce back. And they came out flat against a team that really, I think, was tanking, I think. So they're down 10-0. Uh, before you know what's going on. And again, just a dark day uh, for the franchise. And I don't know what's going to happen uh, the rest of the way. To be fair to us, that, that made the prediction. We made that prediction the day before it was announced that Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro were going to put get put on IR. And Jeff Saturday sideswiped us with the Matt Ryan thing coming, coming in. Sam Ellinger is is a much worse quarterback than Matt Ryan. Much, much worse quarterback than Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan, decent quarterback when he's not pressured. And today he was pressured the least on dropbacks by far that uh, he's been all season by 6%, which is pretty significant. The, uh, he was only drop, uh, pressured on 16.7% of dropbacks. Today, uh, the game before he was benched, he was pressured on 40% of dropbacks, to put that in context. And he was able to, but part of it too was he was able to get rid of the ball pretty quickly because the Raiders were playing so much soft coverage. Uh, he got rid of the ball in 2.21 seconds, which was uh, his fastest release time. So, yeah, pretty terrible. I'm day confused. So, defense. did Darren Waller and Renfro play defense? Did they, they, did they rush the quarterback? They didn't score that many points. They got points shut up on, on the Saints uh, the two weeks ago. I mean, I'm not sure Waller or Renfro. I mean, it's sad to say, but with this scheme, and the, obviously they're not, uh, you know, cohesive. They, Foster Moreau drops the game-winning touchdown. Was it broken up or did Maybe Darren Waller makes that play. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I I thought he had a chance to to hold on to that ball. Or he should have held on to that points to what's your sixth loss by less than a touchdown. But four of those were the bad teams. I mean, the Colts are not good. The Saints are not good. The Jaguars are not good. So they're losing close games to teams that are not good. So that's not really a feather in your cap. So 
I was trying to. I was trying no, to make you guys no. feel better about the. Prediction. This is not a podcast about making people feel better. I think what Vic is, what you're speaking to there, is like for one, like there's been a lot of close games league wide. I think through this week, there's been the most close games ever in NFL history. Um, so that's pretty much you know whether a team is good or bad. Like a lot of these games are close, but if you're lo- if you're in games to that degree, like your team can only be so terrible. Like the Raiders obviously are not a good team, but I don't think they're like an awful football team to just, oh, you just can't possibly win with these guys. They're sitting at the number number two overall pick right now. <laughs> they lost some very winnable games, and when you have that happen against teams that aren't good, it's not like they're losing to juggernauts, that's coaching. Like, you have to you have to look at coaching. Like, like when you blow three 17-point leads, when you, you come out like that against a bad Saints team, when you come out like this against a bad Colts team, like that, you have to point at coaching for that. Like, like they just aren't that terrible, I don't believe. Like, I think they should at least be, like, four and five or so but um and, and so it, you know buck starts with, with josh mcdaniels and um you know it's, i mean it's the elephant in the room you know half of I mean, probably more than half probably like 90 percent of raider nation want a coaching change but like it just doesn't seem realistic for that to happen in year one i mean given the recent turnover that this organization has had you know parting ways with john gruden having to settle with him hiring josh mcdaniels giving him a four-year deal they fire him they have to pay him for the next three years and then hire another coach and doing all of that off of this kind of a sample size, it's just kind of hard to imagine Mark Davis kind of making that move. But somebody has to pay for this. Like, this is not just this game, but this season. This, this you know, m- missing the playoffs was feasible, especially with the AFC getting better, AFC West. But not being, right, like, as, as Jimmy just said, this having the second overall pick currently, like, that was not supposed to be in the realm of po- uh, possibilities. And the fact that they are, like, somebody has to take the fall for that. In season, maybe that's Paul uh, uh, Paul Gunther. Having the same results. Patrick <laughs> Patrick Graham losing feels his like job. He, feels like a Gunther uh, defense. You know, in the offseason, as I wrote today, I, I think if it continues this way, like, it's hard to see Derek Carr being in the Raiders jersey past this season. But I feel like they're going to go another route outside of firing Josh McDaniels just because – it's it's just it just seems like too too quick of a, a leash to pull for for Mark Davis. I'll tell you what, when you have Devontae Adams after the game saying, "I don't think people are like you know f what McDaniel's is talking about." When you have Devontae Adams telling you that, I don't think people are saying f what he's talking about. It probably means that's what's happening. Uh, I don't I don't think he says that. It's not like he was asked like, "Oh, you guys like." F McDaniel's like no, nah, like basically like if, he, if he's presenting that and saying that's I don't think that's what's happening, that's a pretty damn clear sign that that's what's happening. I mean, there has to be a bottom at some point. I mean, McDaniel's can't keep losing games the rest of the year and keep his job. It's just not. I mean, I know what you're saying that for your contract, he and Ziegler are buddies that came in together, new regime, yada yada yada. It's hard to pull a plug on that so quickly, but. You can't go four and thirteen or five and twelve and tell me he's shown you enough to come back next year. So I think that's why you play the rest of the games. I'm clearly he wants a chance to turn around and maybe get some guys back. But um, I, I don't. I agree with you. It doesn't look like you want to make a move. But at some point, there has to be. You have to hit a bottom where Mark Davis is like that's enough. I can't. I can't watch any more of this. The fans can't watch any more of this. We got. We made a mistake. I'm not saying that's. Something you decide today or this week, but it's got to be on the agenda. It's got to be on your list of things to do for Mark Davis. Like, did I make a mistake? And, I, and right now, it's got to be a thought in his head that he did. He asked, well, you know what? I may have I may have screwed this up. So we'll see what happens in the next uh, couple months. It's hard not to think about right now, when you go back to the offseason, the coaching search, who was out there that wanted the job, right? That was, was sitting there waiting for a call, waiting for an interview, waiting for an offer. 
That's Jim Harbaugh. Do you think this team would be two and seven and floundering with Jim Harbaugh as their head coach? Maybe. I don't know. But I mean, at the very least, he like he's proven success yeah. NFL, college, yeah. like everywhere he's gone, that's that's a proven head coach. Like their best option in retrospect, hindsight's twenty twenty, it would have just been rolling rolling it back with the interim staff or Richard Bisaccia, because they just have the guys were advocating for it. He had the locker room, they had the, the leadership qualities, all of that intangible stuff that you need. You know, he wasn't a play caller on either side of the ball. I don't think he was constructing their game plans that led them to all that success, but he had the, the the difficult stuff that it seems like McDaniel's from these comments is already you know starting to falter in the locker room. Like he had that on lock. Like whether they you know started off bad this season or not, that wasn't going to change with Rich Bisaccia. And let's say they keep him and they have a similar start to what they're doing right now, two and seven. All right, we tried it. He couldn't retain that success. Now we move on. And even if they wanted to go like next off season, for example, like. Josh McDaniels wasn't going to leave. He wasn't going to get another job, I don't think, outside of this job. If you want to hire, if you just locked in on him, you could have plucked him from the Patriots next year or hire somebody else. As you said, Jim Harbaugh or insert another candidate that that becomes a hot topic this year. But they just would have gave them, because even we've talked about their personnel moves this offseason, like they went all in, but kind of, sort of. Like they didn't fully commit to this team and then they can pivot in some key areas starting with Derek Carr this offseason. And and if you want to, if you have that kind of flexibility anyway, you know, it's kind of a, a low risk move to just run back, run it back with the interim. They probably wouldn't have had to give Rich Bisaccia a, a super long term deal. I don't think, given given his situation, if it didn't work out, like it's not working out now, because I think this team between the injuries that they've had and the defense being terrible, like they're only going to be so good this season. Like I think, like this probably isn't a playoff team given everything that's that's happened this season. Um, and so you can could have made a change after this season, but now I feel like they're they're kind of stuck. Like I, I guess you know if. Like like Vic said, they they just if they finish, I don't know two and fifteen or three and fourteen, and obviously at that point you probably have to do it anyway. But like even if they let's say they get to six or seven wins, like do any of us feel good about this franchise moving forward? Like no, <laughs> like it might keep him his job, but it doesn't you know their prospects. And so it's, it just seems like you know they might have pulled the plug on what was working for him last year a little too quickly and, and kind of locked themselves into probably at least for two years this this current iteration of the franchise. The reason why you move on from that, uh, move on from them, because you know how high is the ceiling really with, with that coaching staff. You know, you you might have made the wrong hire with Josh McDaniels, but I, I think it's fair to question how high the ceiling would have been for Rich Passaccia, and you know, I guess would you keep Mike Mayock in in that situation? And you know, with everything that's happened, Derek Carr might be the guy who ends up taking the fall, and if, if he does. Um, and you end up t- drafting a, a high quarterback, you finally kind of leave that quarterback purgatory area that you've been in for so long where, you know, Derek Carr plays just good enough to get you out of range from getting one of those top quarterbacks. Now you have a chance to kind of reset and try to swing for defenses uh, with, with an elite quarterback. I, was gonna, I think this is the, the, definitely the worst case scenario for McDaniels because now the players who pushed hard for Bisaccia in the offseason are definitely wondering – what would our record be if we had Rich Passaccia? We, we, we would not be in this mess we're in now. And I think that's you know obviously a fair point. You don't know for sure, but I'm sure that's a thought in their head. These guys who made the playoffs after you know a, a really tough year last year, through you know, on and off the field, kind of they persevered and they got through some stuff, and it was a big reward. And then it was quickly kind of you know reset. Like Derek Carr said tonight, you know you look at Josh's resume and he's won six rings, so obviously you want to buy in, you want to believe what he's saying. This guy knows what he's doing. He's had more success than we ever had. But that's not what's happening. And I think you're now closer to a full rebuild than you are to getting back to the playoffs. So if you're a player on this team, 
that can't be what you want to hear. You can't want to hear, like, I'm being evaluated for my spot next year and we might be drafting guys in my spot and we're not sure what's working. It's just it's a whole different picture than what was painted before the season. If you're Devontae Adams, I guarantee you no one mentioned to him, like, we're going to evaluate the roster, we're going to rebuild this year when he signed here and when he got traded for here. So I'm sure he's clearly really frustrated and wondering what the hell he's doing here. So... Those are questions you can't really answer in, in the short term. So I think if you're Josh McDaniels, you really are in a tough spot because your message is not getting through. The hope is gone, so now you can't really promise much. You're kind of just trying to survive and maybe turn a corner at some point. And if you're a player in this team, that's not really an attractive thing to hear. Like, we, we're going to try and win some games and get some momentum for next year and maybe get some new players in here. You don't want to hear that. So it's a really tough spot for him and, and the players. Stemming off of what, what Ted said earlier about, you know, the ceiling, I think maybe, you know, it probably would factor in the Mark Davis decision to, to make the changes offseason was he probably misevaluated how close this team was to contending. You know, I think we, we all talk about last season how much of a success it was, but they did win six walk-off games. And that stuff tends to not translate from year to year. Like, they very easily could have been, like, a like six or seven win team last year. Like like it was only a couple of handful of plays from the difference from that. And, you know, just kind of that that 10 to 7 record of making the playoffs, almost beating the Bengals is almost misleading of how many uh, you know, all the roster holes that this team had. Like defense was not the defense sucked last year. The offensive line was not good. The offensive line, the offense as a whole kind of, you know, came and went. You know, obviously there were some other reasons because of that. You know, they they, they might have Mark Davis might have been convinced like, oh, we only need piece or two, Devontae Adams, Chandler Jones, a new coach to kind of reconstruct the offensive philosophy to to go in and try to win this thing. Clearly, that's not the case. And, and so maybe they they kind of got, when I say they, Mark Mark Davis and the powers that be maybe got caught up in a little bit of the, the mirage that was the run that they made last season. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When we talk about this team keep hitting rock bottom and all that, I, I mean, you feel like, you hope that this game is, but I, I think they're, I don't, I don't think it really is going to be. Um Especially when you kind of see what the post game was like, when you see Derek Carr questioning his teammates' effort, when you see Devonta Adams saying that Sunday's supposed to be the most fun day of the week, and you know it, we're not having any any fun on Sundays. I mean, the way this team has played, getting to two and seven, the only thing they have left for the rest of the season is you know playing for their coach's job, and I I, I don't we don't get those vibes that uh that this this team has a whole lot of interest in playing for their coach's job, Derek. You know, I, I mean, I've only covered him for three seasons now, but he's really, regardless of what's going on on and off the field, he always kind of bites his lip. You know what I mean? He, even if he last week, for example, when 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 Vic asked him about the Jaguars' loss, he kind of he seemed like he wanted to say something similar to what he said today, and kind of held himself back. And today, like seeing him, because you could tell as soon as he took the, the podium, like that he he was very emotional. And even you know when he first started answering questions, you know he's getting caught up in emotion. And he almost kind of hesitated to go on to say what he later did about questioning effort and things of that nature. And for him to get to that point, like nine games into the season, like this this shit is. I mean, we already knew it was over, but like they're they're cooked, cooked. So I, I won't I won't even say rock bottom. I, I shouldn't even use that word. Like it could definitely get worse from here. It probably will. You know, I mean, like maybe not everybody in the locker room is tapped out. But some guys have already started to tap out. And I don't what what could happen that would make them lock back in? Like there is no like in the AFC playoff race, they're 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 pretty much eliminated. Like maybe mathematically they aren't yet, but there's really no hope of them getting back in the mix. A lot of these guys don't really know about their future. Like, how are you going to reclaim this lock the, the, the people that are in the locker room that apparently have tapped out? Like I don't really think you can. And the only way to really do that is to get those guys out of the locker room. But they still got eight games left, so it's you know they kind of just have to live in this weird, wasted, lost season, um, you know, and it's only halfway over. If the players who who have tapped out are new players, that's on Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels, and if they're old players, that's on Josh McDaniels because they didn't buy in, they don't believe what he's preaching on the whole new culture thing. So, uh, to me, the whole play these guys aren't trying their hardest, or some guys aren't, aren't giving up their all. It definitely points the fingers at, at the new regime more than it does to me, like the, the leadership in the locker room. I think the leadership in the locker room is fine, but there's only so much you can do as a player. You can't, you know, after four or five weeks, say, hey, guys, keep going. It'll get better. It'll get, it'll get better. It'll get, listen, offense will click. Defense will click. We'll get the new scheme. It's complicated, but it'll work at some point. And now you're two and seven. You can't keep, I mean, if you're a player and, and you know, Max Crosby or Derek Carr is like, hey, man, you know, trust the process. You're like, screw you. Trust the process. I'm two and seven. No process to be trusted here. So I just think, um, if we're talking about rock bottom, I mean, at this point, it has to be more like, more losses and you actually pull the plug on the coach. That would be the rock bottom this year. And for some Raider fans, to be happy with that. But that's what I think would be the rock bottom. If you, you keep on this path, you lose at Denver, you lose at Seattle, and you realize this is not going to get any better at all, then you would hope that Mark Davis has the um, – I don't know what the word is, the guts or the the common sense to pull the plug and, and, and hit reset. 
if they do pull the plug during the season, like because last last off we had a different tune. Last offseason, we were like, oh, this is this is an attractive job. I mean, it just made the playoffs to have a lot of cap space, to have all the draft picks, to have some solid players. I don't I would not be like in a rush to take this job if I was a like high profile head coaching candidate right now. Like, especially if you have an owner that fires somebody within their first season, like whatever the reasons were, and the team is playing like shit. Um, they've locked into some of those contracts with Devontae Adams, Chandler Jones, um, and some other players. Like, I don't know, maybe that's also part of what Mark Davis is thinking. Like, with a top candidate that I want, would he really be in a rush to sign up for this job? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the one thing that could be attractive is like, listen, this this team's barreling toward a top five pick in the draft, right? Like we said, number two right now. If you're a if you're a you know offensive genius what type that is really excited about one of these quarterbacks that's coming out and you say all right I can step into a team that you know at least it has some pieces it's got you know if you can get Darren Waller healthy and on the field you know it's got we have some receivers um, you know I've got a I do have at least one stud pass rusher I love this quarterback in the draft I'm gonna go take this job I'm gonna get this quarterback and you know. I'm going to not necessarily because I'm going to have a rookie quarterback. I'm not going to have that pressure to win right away. And so that's maybe the one way that, that it could be an attractive job. But I mean, I don't, it would definitely won't be as attractive a job as we thought it was last off season. Yeah. I was going to say it'd be a whole new brochure. It would not be the job would be okay. Come to Vegas. We have a brand new stadium, got an you know, exciting fan base and you can have a, a, a new quarterback. You can start with a new quarterback, build with him kind of, there's no rush to win. It's a whole new you know, plan going forward. You can shape the roster how you want to shape. So it's a whole new from ground A. And you'll have some good players, you know, to begin with. But really, there's no um, no pressure the first year. It'd be a totally different job than it was this past off season where you had a playoff team and you came in and so we got Derek Carr. We'll add this guy. We have a top offense. We'll add Challenge Jones. The, the, the talk about that job will be much different uh, if you have to recast it now. It'll be much more forward-looking, long-term, uh, and fans, I'm sure, would at that point would buy in because they don't like what's going on now. So if you say, hey, it's going to be totally different, they're like, all right, I'm going to get like a new quarterback and ideally one of these top guys in college and you can go with him. Let's have the car conversation. We've kind of hinted at it. I mean, it, do any of us see any scenario in which Derek Carr gets a 10th season with the Raiders? Is there still an out if they keep him yeah, next year? Yeah, there's like very, very minimal cap hit. They can they can cut him within three days of the of the Super Bowl, or obviously, you know, you, you could you could explore the trade market, but uh, I mean, yeah, they they can easily get out of his contract. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think it won't bring good vibes or anything, but I think if they do, even if they do draft a quarterback and they feel like he's a developmental type of quarterback that might need a year to sit, you know, you'll have Carr a year into this offense that can kind of be that bridge gap, and it, it wouldn't be any you know, secrets about what it is. It, it's going to be Carr's final year to kind of mentor a quarterback before uh, they, they give the reins to him. Uh, so I could see that possibility being there. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if that's going to happen, but I, I think, yeah, that there is a possibility of a 10th season. Remember his cap number next year jumps. It was 19, 19.3 this season. It goes up to 35, 34.5. So almost 35 million next year a lot of money to pay to a quarterback when if you're drafting a, a highly drafted uh de, you know even if you're calling them a developmental if you're going after like a top five pick quarterback i don't see i don't think you can pay 35 million if you're mcdaniels can you risk another really bad season 
with a rookie quarterback. And then, you know, after this season, Carr's value probably is going to get tanked. So you probably might want to give him a chance to rebuild his value a little bit before a, a possible trade. It's up my mindset that like McDaniel's job is safe, but like we, we, don't, we don't know if he's going to be here next year. Like we, we can't say that with all certainty. So just we, we just want to view this through the lens of, yeah, we can just say if he's not even not even if he's not here, if the Raiders continue going down this path, like Derek Carr's future is going to be in jeopardy either way. And I think the only way that it really makes sense for him to stick around is if they end up, let's say, with like the tenth overall pick. Because the top quarterbacks in the draft, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, they're probably going top five. Like, I'd be pretty surprised if one of those guys stood there at 10. Will Levis even is probably as dicey if he's going to be there at 10. And so if you're like in that kind of in-between range where you're high but not high enough to get one of the blue chip quarterbacks, like, like if, I mean, after that, who is it, guys like Anthony Richardson? Like, do you really think I got kind of guy like that, that could start year one? Then maybe that scenario you described could come into play where they still draft the guy and Derek Carr still the guy year one. But. If they keep this like that top five draft slot, I, I don't think there's really any kind of way that they don't draft a quarterback with that kind of pick. They would have to f- win too many games, as uh, some fans are concerned of now, to have have a, a pick to go get a quarterback, basically. It's hard for me to, to see a scenario where both McDaniels and Carr are back next season. I think if you're Josh McDaniels and you survive this year, say if somehow Somehow you go four and four the rest of the way, or three and five. I don't know, but somehow you show enough where Mark Davis is okay. You're not, you're not horrible. You're still gonna need a scapegoat. If you're Josh McDaniels, you need someone to blame. It's gonna be either Derek Carr, or I think right now Patrick Graham are my two guys. I would say are the most in danger of not being back next year if Josh McDaniels stays. So uh, you can't bring everybody back after this kind of failure this year uh, on the staff and the new regime. So I think the McDaniels and Carr have not clicked. Have not. I mean, Carr's regressed since last year. Clearly, that has to be. Um, you know, one of the reasons is the new scheme and, and McDaniels. So I think um, and that would be like, yeah, well, it's his fault. No, it's his fault. But I think if you're Mark Davis and you're bringing back Josh McDaniels, he's like, you know what? For some reason, Derek and I didn't click. Then I think Derek will be the one who pays the price. So maybe that's one of the reasons why Derek was so emotional tonight. Maybe he realizes that now at two and seven. Uh, it's clearly frustrating. He's been in nine years, like he said. And it's all kind of piling up. And he realizes that. There's a decent chance or good chance he's not back next year after all this after all this BS he went through. So, like I said, I can't see those two guys back here together uh, next year unless something drastically changes in terms of wins and offensive production in the next uh, eight games. Yeah, the other scenario is they never lose the rest of the season and make the playoffs, and then we all <laughs> right. I guess that's the the only other way is if they somehow salvage this season. That's for Ted to to give us the best case scenario for the rest of the season is that they win the rest of their games and win the Super Bowl. When you draft like a top five quarterback, you know, if let's say McDaniels is back and you you draft a top five quarterback, move on from Carr, you know that does kind of like reset your 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 cycle a little bit. Like you know you generally are granted a little bit of extra patience. Like okay, we're we're going about this, you know, maybe not as a full rebuild, but you know we're going after this with a with a rookie quarterback. And so I think like a team has more patience when you're you're, you're in that scenario than when you have a veteran quarterback who's made pro bowls and a veteran team. I mean, like that's, that's the thing. It's like, you know, the season has like some similar vibes, Vic to 2018 Gruden's first year where, you know, they just quit on him. I mean, we can remember that Niners Thursday night game where, I mean, Bruce Irvin, like basically didn't even play that game. He was on the field, but didn't even play. But, and we saw players quitting on that team, but like that was a different scenario because that team was so stripped down of talent. You traded the best player away. You, you just, you, you, we knew that team was going to be really bad. 
Yeah, that team actually, um, the guys we brought in were, were sold a bit, uh, kind of a bill of goods. Like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna compete, we're gonna try, and they get here, like, oh, cool, Mac, get lost, and Gruden pretty much pulled up, kind of gave up right away. And the players like, why did we come here? And, and so that one, to me, was um, a more obvious uh, reason to quit on a, on a coaching staff because you're kind of relied to about why you got there and you thought you'd be competitive and you're gonna try, but clearly Gruden had given up on the year before it started. So uh, with this one, this case. They actually had some aspirations. They got Devontae Adams. People like me are writing about Super Bowl window and yada, yada, yada. And the, and the defense got Max Crosby. got some young stars. Okay, this is enough for us to contend. So I think um, that's why it's harder for these players to deal with because I think you had high expectations and, and it's been crushing to be 2-7. and seven. Whereas the other team, I think you kind of realized off the bat, like week one, uh, we're, we're going to stink. This, you know, we, we, we're, we're, not, we're not good. And so I think that was a harder... Think those guys to deal with because they kind of came, um, you know, uh, a different different time. But um, it's tough. It's definitely both both years are, are, are very very tough on players. And the worst part about that tank job is it landed you the number four pick, and he got you Cleveland Furl, who was inactive today. Um, Josh McDaniels kind of hinted at you know some some stuff that uh, they're going to keep internal. Um, I guess we'll see if we find out more about that, but I, I don't know if there's something going on there with, with Cleef Furl and uh, him being an actor for this game. Yeah, I mean, he hyped up Tashawn Bauer a little bit um, leading up to the game and saying that he was probably going to be active, and so I thought they probably would both be active. But, you know, I mean, Cleef, I'm not acting like he's setting the world on fire this year, but like he's been probably their second-best edge player next to Max Crosby, which – not good sign for your defense, um, but yeah, he hadn't been playing poorly enough to where he should have been inactive. And so I don't want to, you know, predict anything, but we kind of saw a similar thing happen recently with Jonathan Abram where uh, his playing time significantly, re- re- significantly was reduced and then he was cut. Maybe we see something like that happen with, with Cleve Farrell and, and giving him a chance to go play elsewhere. Uh, otherwise, I don't really understand with as bad as his defense has been um, sitting a player who had been relatively productive for you and cutting Cleo would also like like cutting Abram and Abram was not a good player but I'm still it kind of shines a light on hey man the past regime made some horrible draft picks that we really dealing with a lot of crap here so I think that's part of the sales jobs I got to do with Mark Davis is convince him this roster was not that good uh, before the year started uh, these draft picks were horrible we have nothing to work with which is not totally I'm not saying it's not true but I'm saying you really got to hammer that home now because you got to convince Mark Davis that you can do a better job with your draft picks and your free agent moves uh, going forward. And you know, if you're going to make that point to Mark Davis, part of me wonders what is the point that you made to him when you when you were hired? Because I know one of the stories like that's come out like you know, when Kyle Shanahan got the 49ers job and they interviewed for that, we went into that interview and basically just told him point blank, your roster is terrible. Like you, you might have the worst roster in the league. And like they actually appreciated the honesty because like if you, if you, if those guys went into getting an interview and getting hired for this job, painting this picture of like, yeah, the, I, oh, yeah, we can, I can just kind of take off with what you guys did. And, you know, and then now, like nine months later, you're trying to you're trying to backtrack and say, ah, no, actually, uh, the, the roster is terrible. It becomes a lot harder sell job to the owner when you're trying to if if you tried to pump up his roster to him ten months ago to get the job, and then now you're telling him it's it's awful and uh, you got to give me time to rebuild it. I definitely think they were on the side of saying we can compete with this roster. I mean, otherwise, you don't go trade for Devontae Adams, you don't sign Chandler Jones, and. I mean, I guess he could have been lying to us in the introductory press conference, but Mark Davis said, you know, when he hired him that, you know, I'm not trying to rebuild or reset. Like he's trying to stack 
and build on top of what they did the previous year. And, and you know, I mean, they, they had resources to, you know, like, like I said, last season's roster probably wasn't that good, but they had the resources this offseason to make it good. Like, they had plenty of cap space. They had all those draft picks. Devontae Adams has worked out, but pretty much every other addition that they made outside of, you know, young offensive linemen and Dylan Parham, who's starting, and Rocky scene like, it's pretty much been bad. Like, they, they missed on a lot of additions. And, like, I, I think this roster was good enough last season to where if you hit on those additions, this could have been a team where – they're competing for a playoff spot and they're, and they're kind of building on what they did last year. Like it wasn't, this wasn't a hopeless situation where there was just nothing they could have possibly done to make this roster good enough for them to compete. Like clearly it's not right now, but they have a lot of fault in that because they had an opportunity this off season to, to reconstruct the roster in their own image. They did. I mean, over half the players on the roster right now are, are players that uh, were brought in under this regime. And so, you know, they, I mean, obviously they were stuck with some players like like Clee and, and John Abram and a couple others that, that they didn't want around. But with that being said, they, they had plenty of room to to make some upgrades. Yeah, I think every move uh, this offseason was kind of made predicated on like, you know what? We got Josh McDaniels. This guy is an elite play caller. We have, well, Adavante Adams. We got Renfro, Waller, Derek Carr, you know, Josh Jacobs. We're going to be an elite offense. I mean, defense will not be terrible, we hope. It'll be okay and good enough we can get by and win games with this great offense, this great offensive mastermind. Uh, clearly has not been the case. So I think as Mark Davis said, he hired him because he's a great chess player. He's like, he's a guy I see making adjustments in-game, in-series. I love watching him coach. I guarantee you Mark Davis is not enjoying watching him coach this season. So I think everything they did in the offseason was kind of built around this impression that, you know, Josh and the offense would click and it would take off and score a lot of points, and everything would be great, and that hasn't happened. And again, the defense is not is definitely you know shared a huge part of this of this demise. But I think the way the team was built this offseason was all about Josh and and the offense. All right. Well, it is almost time to get out of here, but we have one last piece of business to account for. Here's the thing. I really want me to sing, but I'm not going to sing <laughs> on a day where Derek Carr cried. That would be disrespectful. So I, everyone's requesting songs. <laughs> You guys want Hotel California? There's some tricky notes in that song, so I'm going to need some time to work on it. So we come back on Wednesday. I'll sing for you suckers, but I'm not going to sing the same day Derek Carr cries. To me, that would be disrespectful. So for that reason, I'm not singing tonight, but I hear you. I hear you guys loud and clear. Hotel California, Wednesday. I'll practice. It'll be not horrible. So there you go. You better not have us questioning your effort. <laughs> no, I, I always try hard. There's no, no guarantee how it's going to sound, but I'll give, you, I'll give you maximum effort. All right. Well, everybody, set your clock, set your no, watches. No, uh, be ready no, for Vic no. on, on, on Wednesday. He's, he's going to have the pipes all ready to go. He's going to be rehearsing over the next few days, uh, long practices and, and whatnot, and uh, he's going to be great for you on Wednesday. It's gonna be so good that it's gonna inspire the Raiders to practice harder. It's gonna get them on a win streak. I can't. I can't wait for this. Yep. Start watching college film, y'all. It's time. It really is. It's week ten, and we and we started breaking down the NFL draft. <sighs> May not know all the guys I just named. We'll get to know them. Might have to. <laughs> I got an Anthony Richardson thread on my uh, on my uh, Twitter timeline, so you guys can check that out if you want. Oh, this is dark. All right. We'll talk to you guys later this week. Later. All right, y'all. Peace. Adios. This shouldn't even be like remotely competitive. Like if this is if this plays out like the Texans game, like there there's no way. The Colts, no. Like there's there's no there's no rationale behind this, like
Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.